Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, History, we'll be looking at the big picture of God's rescue story from Genesis to Revelation. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. So in this cold weather, um, I start thinking of warmer places. And where I grew up, Zimbabwe, Africa, is a pretty warm place, nice place to live, fantastic weather. Think about the house that I grew up in as a boy primarily. Uh, it had in the back one of my favorite places to be was this massive avocado tree, avocado pear tree. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, the fruit that they use to make guacamole from. We had this huge 30-foot-plus tree in the back of our yard that produced uh, avocados. And I used to love climbing that thing. It was huge, easy to climb. And it was nothing better to sit up high and to be able to look around and see my, my, my yard and then see the neighbor's yard and the neighbors and the neighbors and all the way around, see the streets. Uh, it was just beautiful to be up there as a kid and just, just look and enjoy. It's also fun to take rotten or ripe avocados and throw them down on anyone, the dogs or this little sister or anyone else was around and seeing them explode. Uh, those are things that I did uh, at that time. I love the tree. Love big trees. You know, it takes time for a tree to, to get that size. It takes years and years for it to develop that kind of height and that kind of uh, just massiveness. I'm told that the largest trees in the world are found in California in the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains, the sequoia. How many of you have seen the sequoia? Massive trees. Massive trees that reach up to 300 feet high. Uh, the most famous sequoia is uh, this tree. It's called the General Sherman. Let me show that picture. The, the General Sherman. Check at that thing. The General Sherman. I'm told, uh, according to my research, that the General Sherman is uh, 2,100 years old. Now, sequoias can live up to 3,000 years, but this one is 2,100 years old. Um, it is apparently, by volume, the largest living organism in the world. 275 feet high. It uh, has a volume of 2.7 million pounds. It weighs 2.7 million pounds. 275 feet tall and 102 foot in circumference. Massive. And I look at this tree, and, and you look at it, and you're like, wow. 2,100 years old. That thing, is, that thing is old. That thing is ancient. A massive, ancient tree. And it's just, it takes your breath away, I'm sure, being there, just standing next to it. But here's something else about this tree. This tree is ancient, but you know what it also is? It's brand new. It's ancient, but present. Think about it. It's been around for 2,100 years, and so parts of it are thousands of years old. Maybe down in the roots, there's, there's sections of it that is there are thousands of years old. But also, at the same time, there's stuff, leaves on that tree that are maybe days old, fresh and new. It's ancient and new at the same time. Now, I want you to hold on to that. I want you to hold on to that, that idea, ancient and new. I want you to hold on to the image of this giant sequoia, and I want you to hold on to that because that's going to be an important theme that's going to run throughout the entirety of my conversation with you today. 
So this past week, um, we left on January the 3rd, and we got back on January the 10th. This past that week, uh, Shannon and I, my wife and I, and Tim and Angie Peace, Tim's our teaching minister, Angie, his wife, joined a group that did a tour of Israel. And uh, the tour was just, it's, it was it's life-changing, it was fantastic. We did a lot of sites. I think we, we did two weeks' worth of touring in about four days, 20-something plus miles of walking, dealing with all sorts of craziness, and I'll, I'll share with you some of the stories as we go through this, this series on history, because it's absolutely fantastic that things have worked out where we're able to go to Israel, and we're doing this series on history where we're talking about uh, the story of the Bible and how it connects to each other. I want to really just say up front, appreciate the small group from this church that basically resourced this opportunity for Tim and Angie and Shannon and I. Uh, what, a, what a blessing to our lives, and, and hopefully we will be able to bring things to you in the teachings that we, we have through this series that will be a blessing to you in your life and your faith walk. So I've got a lot of stuff to share, and I have pictures that will no doubt show up there, but what I'm going to start with, what I, one observation that really struck me is the reality that when I went to Israel, you see a lot of ancient stuff, right? Stuff that are thousands of years old, some stuff that we saw was eight to 9,000 years old, and so it struck me, wow, there's a lot of ancient stuff. And I realized, what? oh my goodness. My faith, my Christian faith, my following of Jesus is like that great sequoia. The realization is this, is that we're ancient and new at the same time. Our following Jesus has ancient roots. They go all the way back to the beginning of creation, if you'd like, thousands of years. But also it's new and fresh because it's being lived out today in new leaves in new growth, in new manifestations here and now in Cincinnati, Ohio in the year 2018. Our faith is ancient and new. Now, the backbone of our series is Paul's explanation of what it means to be made right with God through Jesus Christ, what he calls the good news, that's contained for us in the book of Romans. We call the book of Romans uh, a book, but really it is a letter. Romans is a letter written by Paul to a church that was already established in the capital of the empire, Rome, the Roman Empire, and he writes this letter as an explanation of what he teaches. Paul is the apostle to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. His role is to spread Christianity throughout the known world. That's what God's called him to do. And his great desire throughout his ministry is to go to Rome and preach the good news there. Because if he preached the good news there, that was like the, the, the hub, the center of the entire world. And so his desire was to preach the good news and to share with them what it means to be made right with God through faith in Jesus, the good news. But in the course of his ministry, he's unable to do that for one reason after the other. Obviously, if you're familiar with the story in the book of Acts, you know that he eventually gets to Rome. But before he can, on his own agenda, he's diverted a number of places. And so what he does is he writes this letter instead. He writes this letter to them and says, listen, I want to come and see you. I want to be with you, and I want to share with you these things in person and I hope to do that soon, but instead of that, I'm going to tell you everything 
here and now, what I'm teaching, what it means to be made right with God through, through faith in Jesus. I'm going to share you the good news message that I'm preaching all over the world in this letter. And that's what we have. Romans is an explanation of the good news message that we teach as Christians. And so Paul writes this letter, and he writes it to this church. And now you've got to understand that this church uh, is made up of two racial groups primarily. They are the Jews, and there are the non-Jews, which are called Gentiles. Now, both groups are Christians, but they still have their racial heritages. They still have their religious heritages. They still have maybe their religious prejudices. And Paul begins his letter by first of saying, before I get to the good news, let's just lay out right here and now the bad news. Let's just lay out right here and now uh, something that will help you appreciate the good news. Because, you know, the, the size of the escape from the bad news uh, directly is connected to the thrill of, uh, of, 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 and joy of, of escape, right? So if you escape something really dangerous, you're, <laughs> you're like, whew. That was, that was good. That was close. And so his explanation of the bad news begins by, and, and Aaron touched on this, starts to talk to the Gentiles and says, hey, you Gentiles, understand that in your predicament before Jesus, you were in a bad way. You were recipients or qualified to be recipients of God's wrath because of your sin. And the reason why you qualify is because you could know who God is by observing Creation, it's called general revelation. And God placed in every human being, no matter who they are, a moral code. We call it our conscience. And so you have a conscience placed in you and you can know about God, but instead what you've done is you've chosen to reject God and chosen to do things that are contrary to the conscience that God placed in you and contrary to the information that you've received from observing creation and the things that you can know about the Creator God. You're in trouble. And so he shares this to the Gentiles, and you can imagine as they're receiving this, because that's what they would do. They would read this, this letter to the church, and, and maybe as he's reading this, the Jews that are there are like, yeah, I knew that. That's what I knew. I grew up listening to that in Sunday school. Yeah, Gentiles, bad. They're bad. <laughs> bad. But then Paul shifts over to have a conversation to the Jews. He says, ah, wait a minute. You're in an equally uh, precarious predicament. Just because you're the people of God doesn't mean you're going to escape the punishment of God either. He says to the Jews, hey, you guys have received the very word of God. God chose you and you, your people, starting from you know, Adam and, and all the, the patriarchs and the prophets and, and the kings and everything else we read in, in the first part of our Bibles, the, the Old Testament. God has spoken to you directly, and he's revealed to you directly who he is and, and what he's about and, and what he wants from, from a people, what he wants from, from individuals who will follow him. He's spoken to you to directly, and you've received special revelation. You've received special information. But instead, what you've done with that information is, is you've rejected him. You've missed the mark. And so in one way, maybe you're in a worse predicament than the Gentiles because you knew better. You knew better, and still you chose not to follow what God has communicated to you. You have failed to live up to the standards required to be made right with God. 
we get this in Hebrews, right? Hebrew writer basically addresses Jews and he says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, of course he's now talking about Jesus, he has spoken to us by his son whom he, is, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So you think about this conversation that's going on within the church. The Gentiles get blasted because they have lived wicked and despicable lives, Paul says. And now the Jews, he says, hey, you receive the, the, the very, very messages of God, uh, but hey, don't get too smug on yourself here. <laughs> you've also rejected God, and you've rejected the direct words of God, and you are in an equally precarious position being separated from God because your failure to observe the laws of God. Now you can think after that, you know, the, the Gentiles got, got, got something and the Jews get something and when the Jews get something, you know what happens is typical human nature. Like, ha, 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 ha. The Gentiles are like, yeah, yeah. You guys are all high and mighty on your high homes. Children of Abraham, people with Moses, <laughs> you're as bad as we are, Right? I'm adding lib right now, so you can, you, can, you can help me out. But And so in order to, to circumvent, to anticipate this kind of reaction, Paul takes an interesting note in, in Romans. He, he, makes a, he poses an interesting question. He says, okay, uh, although the Jews have received the very words of God, and though they have rejected them, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's, as Christians, appreciate the fact that it's through the Jews and through the people of Israel that all of us as Christians are connected to something very ancient, God's plan to bring salvation to the world. As Aaron said, we're connected to that promise that God made in the garden that, hey, uh, you, Satan, have caused sin to enter into the world. I'm going to send one who will, whom you will strike on the heel, but he will crush your head. And if you look in your bulletins, you can follow along. He poses this question, basically saying, okay, let's appreciate that which we have inherited as Jesus followers by not getting too high and mighty on the Jews or the people of Israel. Here it says in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Circumcision was the sign of, of, of devotion that Jews would make to being God people, God followers. Great in every respect, he says. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles, the word, the communications of God. Those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, those of us who live by faith in Christ... For all of us who have been made right with God, are recipients of the good news, who have been, who've been saved from the bad, bad news, the, the consequences of, of being disobedient to God, who have come to the Lord by grace through faith at baptism and are living by the Holy Spirit. For all of us who have received this blessing, we have to recognize that our, our new life in Christ is new, but it's also ancient. And we need to appreciate the fact that we come from some ancient roots, a story that, that begins before Jesus, of God working to reach out to the world to bring salvation to everyone. 
It's a story that begins in the Old Testament, right? And we read about Adam, and, and we read about Noah, and we read about the, those guys in the old first few chapters of Genesis. And then it comes to a very important person, whom is going to be a little bit of our focus of today, a very important person in this entire story, a man named Abram. Abram. Abram is unique in that the story, uh, the life of Abram takes a different shift in that we begin to discover that God has a plan to call a people to be his own. That's God's desire is not just only individuals here and there, but actually God's desire is to call a people whom he can say, these are my people, and they will say, God is our God a people to be his own. And Abraham is the guy that God selects in order to begin this process of calling a people. Abram was called Abram, and then he's called Abraham after his name is changed by God. Uh, it's a great story, and I encourage you to read it. It's, it's primarily found in, in most of the, of the book of Genesis, the story of Abram. The story of Abram. And it's, it's the place when, whenever the history of Israel is discussed in the Bible, like the speech that Stephen gives when he's standing before the Jewish council in the book of Acts, he always starts with Abram. This is what he says there in, in, in Acts. It says, to this he replied, this is Stephen, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So God's plan is that he wants not only, he, he wants a people. That his plan of salvation involves calling a people who will be his and, and, and he will be theirs. A people who will live for him and will know him intimately. And Abraham was the first. He was called to leave his home and to come to a place, a land that God would give him. And he's given this promise. He said, hey, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many. You're going to be the father of a great nation, of a multitude of individuals. You're going to be the father of many. And as you read the story, you say, wow, okay, that's a great promise. His faithfulness is, is rewarded because he's obedient to follow God to the, to the land that God is, is, is taking him to. And as you read, you discover, whoa, 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 what's going on? Because there's a little crinkle in the story. Because Sarah, Abraham's wife, can't conceive. She's not able to have a baby. And so you read the story of year after year, God has given Abraham this, this promise, and he's trying to be obedient to, to God and his calling, and, and day after day is added on, added on, and, and still Sarah can't have a baby. Sarah gets a little bit impatient. She says, let's see if we can help God along here. So Abraham, you take my maidservant, Haggai, and, and we'll have a baby with him. And, and so a child is born from that union. His name is Ishmael. And, and when Ishmael comes along, trouble begins, right? Because Ishmael becomes the ancestor, the, the ancestor of the Arabs, of, of the Islamic religion. And they look to Ishmael as, as their connection to Abraham. And, and some of us who know all the history of, of the world, world know that you know, Islam and, and Judaism, the Jews and the Arabs, they don't get along. So there was trouble from the beginning with the birth of Ishmael. But eventually, 
God fulfills his promise, right? We know the story. Abraham's 100 years old. He's a certifiable old geezer, AARP member for a number of years. Sarah's not far behind him. She's, she's a certifiable old lady as well, 90 plus years. And guess what? She conceives and they give birth to a son and they call the son Isaac, which means laughter. And, and there's some interesting dialogue. There's laughter and sense of joy, but there's also laughter because when, when Sarah heard that she was going to conceive, she went, ha, ha, ha. And so that's kind of how he got the name, Isaac. And we're told in the story, we're like, okay, God's fulfilling his promise. Through Isaac, then there will come a great nation, and, and many will be his descendants of Abraham, and God will fulfill his promise. And, and we think in terms of, okay, nation building, that means Isaac is the father of, 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 of Jacob, and Jacob is the father of the twelve, and you get this nation of Israel that's, that's formed out of this. And, okay, these are the people of God by, by descendant. This is what God was all about. And I would say not so fast. Not so fast. There's a nuance, there's a wrinkle, there is a further in-depth insight that I want you to observe regarding God's promise. And that insight is, is, is captured in an event that occurs in the life of Abraham and Isaac. One day God says to Abraham, hey Abraham, I want you to take your son. I know he's, he's a young strapping lad. He's the apple of your eye, your one and beloved son, the, the son of the promise. I want you to take him and I want you to go to this place that I'll lead you to in a region called Moriah. And I want you to take him up on a mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Yeah, I'm talking sacrifice. Dead, burn on an altar, dedicated to God. Uh-oh. How's this going to work? If he's dead, dedicated to you, how am I supposed to have a nation? Many descendants. Abraham doesn't argue that we, we know of. He obeys. Travels three days, a couple of servants and a donkey with a pile of wood with his son. Says, we're going to make sacrifice to God. Gets to a certain point where they come to the mountain. And he says to the servants, you guys stay back. The boy and I, you take care of the donkey. Uh, the boy and I are going to take the wood and we're going to go up and make sacrifice. Puts the wood on the back of, of Isaac and Isaac starts climbing out the mountain as they're going up on the journey. Isaac notices, hey, uh, Dad, Abraham, I see the wood and I'm going to the place of sacrifice and I see the knife to use for sacrifice, but where's the lamb? Mm. Can you imagine those words coming to Abraham? And Abraham says, God will provide. They get to the place, the mountain in the region of Moriah where God says, this is the place where I want you to sacrifice your son. And he builds an altar and he lays down the wood and he grabs his boy and he lays him down and he ties him up and he gets the knife out and he's about to sacrifice his son according to the will of God and God catches his hand. An angel appears and says, stop, 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 stop. I'm pleased with you, Abraham, because you're willing to give your son. You're willing to be obedient to the end. You're willing to trust. Look over there. There's a, there is a lamb, a ram that's caught in the thicket. Use that. And so Abraham, at that point, filled with joy that he doesn't have to sacrifice his son, goes and takes the lamb, and he offers that lamb in sacrifice. And it says here in Genesis 22:14, 14, regarding 
the name of that place. He says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. I want you to note that. The name of the place is what? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. God will be generous. God will be gracious. God will give. The name of that place is what? The Lord will provide. As it's said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, it's important that once Abraham does this, God says something to Abraham regarding uh, the promise he made to him right from the beginning. He reiterates this promise. He says in Genesis 22, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sea which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God will fulfill his promise because of the faith of Abraham. Now, in the last book written in the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles, the author of Chronicles makes a side note. He's talking about the kings and the history of Israel and the old, in terms of the kings. He, he says something regarding Solomon, who built the first temple. Solomon built the first temple of God. And he makes the note, he says, oh, by the way, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. You know the place where Solomon built the temple? It's on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the place where Abraham laid down Isaac to sacrifice. The place that's called what? God will provide. God will provide. Now, Shannon and I, Tim and Angie and our crew, guess what? We were at that place just this past Wednesday. Here it is. That's the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. The Dome of the Rock is a Islamic or Muslim shrine. It's not a mosque. The mosque is actually on the other side of the court. It's got a black dome. It's a practicing mosque where uh, Muslim people go to worship. This is a shrine. It's an Islamic shrine recalling two things. First of all, it recalls the sacrifice of Abraham, uh, according to the Muslims, not of Isaac, but of Ishmael. And it records uh, something that happened to Muhammad. Muhammad had a dream one day that he traveled one night, that he traveled uh, through dream travel, and he traveled to, to Jerusalem. And it says in his dream that he was on that rock, and it was from that rock that he jumped on a horse, a flying horse, that then brought him back to his home in, in Arabia. So that mosque is the celebration of the dream of Muhammad. Okay, Muhammad never left Arabia. Uh, he, he never went to Jerusalem, but he did travel there by dream. And so that's, what, that's why that's there. It is the third most holy site in Islam. Now, that site is also the place where the temple was situated. That's the location where Solomon built the first temple. That temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so when the Israel, Israelites or the Jews came back from exile... Uh, a man named Zerubbabel 
started rebuilding that temple. It's called the Second Temple. And then after Zerubbabel, this guy called Herod, we call him Herod the Great, uh, around the time of Jesus, a little before Jesus, he, he expanded on it. In fact, he, he really went all out and expanded on that temple. And so to the Jews, this is their most holy site. This is their most holy site. In fact, the Jews worship just kind of on the other side, if you want to say to the left of that picture, down at a place called the Western Wall. It's the, one, of the, one of the walls that are still remaining on the retaining uh, platform that Herod built. And they worship there to remember uh, that God, God's temple is there. That's their holy site. Now, there's a group of Christians also that consider this a very important site because in their theology, they believe that the temple needs to be rebuilt. In other words, you know, it's kind of radical stuff that that mosque needs, that, that shrine needs to be taken away and the temple needs to be rebuilt. And when it does get rebuilt, that's the sign that Jesus is going to return. That'll be the, the second coming because that will be the establishment of the kingdom of God because the temple uh, will be rebuilt there. And so this place is probably one of the most controversial, most emotionally charged locations in the world today. For Christians, some Christians, and, some, and, and, and of course the devout Jews and, 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 and Muslims, it's, it's a contentious place. It's, a, it's an emotionally packed place because it's considered an extremely holy place, a place where God, God dwells and, and is present. And I'm going to tell you this. They're all off base. I'm going to tell you this, they're all off base. Because God's not there. And that's not a holy sight anymore. All right? And the reason I can tell you this is, 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 the, is the story of, of Abraham. The story of Abraham. See, in the first temple, when the Babylonians came in, and destroyed that temple that Solomon built. That temple was dedicated, and in that temple time, uh, at that dedication, if you read the story, uh, there was a cloud, and there was thunder and lightning, and God's presence was visibly entered into the temple, and it was like, whoa, right? But then the Babylonians came because of the people of Israel's disobedience. They didn't follow God's law. They went to paganism and, and idolatry, and they behaved in manners that were despicable to God. And, and so God brought about destruction that he promised. Hey, if you break my laws, you, you're going to suffer the consequences. And so the temple, first century, the first temple was destroyed. And the prophet Ezekiel has an interesting vision. If you read the prophet Ezekiel, it's kind of strange, it's kind of out there, but he has this vision of this, this, this kind of machine. It's got wheels and wings, and, and, and it looks like a hover, it sounds like a hovercraft, right? And this machine vision is, is a picture of the presence of God. And what happens is, if you look at, read Ezekiel, he says the presence of God comes out of the temple before it's destroyed, and it heads off into the west over the, the, the Mount of Olives. In other words, the presence of God goes away from that place. And you never, record, you never read of that presence coming back, right? You read as the rubble builds his temple and the people crying because it doesn't look like it was before. And then Herod builds his temple. You never read that. In fact, when the Romans destroy the temple in 70 AD, they go into the Holy of Holies and guess what they find? Nothing. It's empty. It's empty. It's nothing. Why? Because the presence of God is gone. Because God's plan was never to dwell in a house built of stone. 
God's plan was of people. And the means by which he would bring about a people is captured in the story of Abraham and Isaac. The Lord will provide. See, one day in the future, a descendant, the seed of Abraham, his name is Jesus, he will come. And he'll come to that place, that region. And he'll have wood placed on his back. And he will climb up the mountain. And he'll be sacrificed for the sins of all humanity. God will provide the lamb. He'll provide a way by which all people can be made right with, with him through faith. See, just over it's just right there, there's a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the, the place in which we call Golgotha. In the region of Moriah and a mountain that God designated. And through Jesus, who is buried and comes back to life, through Jesus, the presence of God returns. If you read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, you find that the followers of Jesus are waiting on a day called Pentecost. Do you remember that? Read it in the Bible. And all of a sudden, the presence of God enters in. The Holy Spirit comes. Tongues of fire, roaring wind, shakes the building. And they're filled with the presence of God. And they begin to speak, the apostles, in languages they hadn't learned, telling the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is captured for us in Romans. And that Romans message says this, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, you disqualify on your own merit to be made right with God. But thank God for the gift of the Son, who is the provider, the Lamb that was slain. God did not take His Son and provide an alternate substitute. No, unlike Isaac... He was saved. No, God's son went to the cross and died and provided a way in which all people can be made right with God. And the Spirit of God now dwells not in a temple. He dwells in the lives of individuals by His Spirit who are made right through faith. You know, people are asking me, how was it? You're like, when you got there, the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the the, the Dome of the Rock, the Holy Sepulchre. I could be honest with you, I wasn't impressed. My sense, it's a bunch of idolatry going on, worshiping a place that's empty. I didn't sense the presence of God. You know when I sensed the presence of God? Just this morning when I came in and I was singing and standing in the back and I was watching you. Why? Because the presence of God now dwells in the hearts and lives of people who are made right with God through faith in Jesus the Son. Because what? God will provide. Which means what? Grace. See, that's the good news message. You, as Peter says, are a royal priesthood if you're a Jesus follower. You are a stone, a living stone, filled with the presence of God if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's an invitation that's not limited to, to one people group or another. And it's not bound to a location, but instead it is manifest in the lives of transformation as we live in obedience to God's word and live by his will. You are living stones in the temple of God as you live by his spirit. And, and if you're not part of it, the invitation is you can belong too. You can belong too if you will believe. 
That's the good news message. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for the blessings that we have in you. I ask that you would help us to really grasp this depth. You know, I appreciate the depth that we're given, that we have a faith that's both ancient and new. And we thank you for the story of Abraham that communicates to us that, that your desire is for a people. And that your desire for a people is, 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 is fulfilled in the seed of Abraham, Jesus. And from Jesus, all nations will be blessed, he says. All, all peoples will be blessed and come in to know you. you. All of us can receive forgiveness of sin and, and be holy and dedicated. Pray that you would help us truly grasp this. And those of us that are Jesus followers, truly to appreciate this and, and just, just, just soak that in. But also those of us that are here, are, are part of this, who, who are, we're invited to. This, this invitation is not exclusive to anyone but offered to all in faith. Thank you for fulfilling your promise and thank you for the promise that we have in the future that one day we will be part of a new Jerusalem. It's, it's again, not a city, but a people who will be with you in heaven forever. That living begins now as we, we follow you in our day-to-day. -day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.